How are you today? Are you good? Are you prayed up? Say, no, pastor, that's why I'm here this morning. I need to be prayed up. Um, that, per- that person's mad already, all right? Let me ask you a question. Let me start with a question this morning. Um, have you or are you in a fantastic work environment that's in alignment? Now, don't laugh yet. No, no, no. This is serious. Well, sort of, all right? You love going to work. You have a work environment where there's trust and there's alignment and there's a group of people that are accomplishing results together. You not only get along, but you look forward to going to work. You look forward to getting out of bed, going to work, and making a difference. You know what that feels like, don't you? How many of you either are or have a a great family, a great marriage? Well, you're smart guys to raise your hand. That was good. I hadn't hadn't planned on that. You are some smart men in this room. That's really funny. But but you you know what it feels like to be in this. Now, every family's got some crazies, and every family's got some whacked out people. But for the most part, as a family, you're trying to make a difference in the next generation. Nieces, nephews, cousins, you're, you're all kind of all in this together. You, you know what that feels like when you're trying to make a difference in your family, right? Everybody agree with that? Okay. Now flip the coin over. What does it feel like to be in a work environment where there's an absence of trust? What, what does it feel like when there's no alignment, and it's every man, every woman, like completely all for themselves. No, that's, that's not a good feeling, is it? Nobody really enjoys that kind of a work environment. Well, what about a marriage that's not healthy? What about a marriage that's not lowercase dysfunction? I, I think every marriage has some dysfunctions, don't you? I mean, if, if you don't think that, we've got a full-time counselor, and you're a pathological liar, and you're just, you know, but, but everybody, but, but I'm talking about a, a family that's like capital D, dysfunctional most of the time, all the time. What, what does that feel like? It's not a good feeling, is it? That's what the Apostle Paul is going to talk about today. He's got a church that's a little bit dysfunctional, and it has got him at stroke level. He is so concerned about this church environment that's not healthy. Because some of them are following a guy named Paul, and some of them are following a guy named Cephas, which was Peter. Some are following this brilliant theologian named Apollos. But what they all needed to be doing was to be in alignment. Because here's what you know about a family. Here's what you know about a nation right now that can't seem to get along. Here's what you know about a work environment when people are not playing nicely in the sandbox together. It's exactly the same thing with the church. Now, here's what Paul knows. Paul knows that without this alignment, there won't be baptisms, there won't be good offerings, there won't be attendances, there won't be volunteers, there won't be people who will try to make a difference. Everybody will kind of have their own agenda and go their own way. And so here's what Paul does. He starts off this letter, and all summer long now, 
we're going to be studying the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So go ahead and start reading them at home. Start reading these books on your own. And we're not going to go in order, and we're going to skip around and jump around. And there's five or six of us teaching pastors for the next, you know, 20-some weeks, or I guess 12 weeks, going through the summer. But we're going to be in these two books. Here's how he starts. Here's how the Apostle Paul starts in 1st Corinthians chapter 1. He says, I appeal to you. Well, this is a word that means I'm begging you. Please pay attention. I, I, I'm, I'm asking you to do something. There is a lot at stake. And I appeal to you, who? Brothers and sisters, which means the church. These are Christian people. I'm appealing to the family of God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm begging you, Christians, because of the power of Jesus' name. What's at stake for the cross of Christ. What's at stake for the church? I'm begging you that all of you agree with one another. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's like a robot, but he's talking about what? Alignment. He's talking about spiritual movement, spiritual alignment, and the power of synergy. Again, go back to your office. And what if the seven or eight people that you work with, what if they are completely in disalignment, disunity? Conversely, what happens when your team is a team and everybody does their job and does their role and understands how to make a better product? What happens? You achieve results together. Great things happen when you work together. And so here's the church, that you agree with what you say and and that there may be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought and you know what you think is what you're going to say. And so if you don't think good thoughts and think positive thoughts and think the the proper thoughts, you're not going to say the right things, right? To some from Chloe's household, now here's the problem. Go ding, 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 ding. Here's where the violins just started the music, all right? This is a movie. The music just changed. The scene changed. Some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are actually quarrels among you. And what I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, and another says, I follow Cephas, and still another group says, I follow Christ. About half the Bible teachers think that actually this fourth group may have gotten it right. We're not going to follow a man. Why would we follow a man? About the other half Bible teachers think that even this group was disjointed and misappropriating because they were like, we're spiritually elite. We're like the frozen chosen. You ever heard that expression before? You know, you talk to somebody and they got all the answers and they're the only ones going to heaven. You ever had that happen? That's not, much, that's not a fun conversation if you don't agree with them, if they don't agree with you. So, so in other words, there's probably four splinter groups in this church in Corinth. Some people said, you know what? We just love it when Paul comes. Others said, we just love it, you know, when, when Peter teaches Others would say Apollos. Now, Apollos was probably the most brilliant theologian in the entire New Testament. Apollos most likely wrote the book of Hebrews. I had to translate the book of Hebrews from English and Greek and Greek into English, the entire thing in graduate school. It is a phenomenal book. And whoever wrote it, wrote it completely different than all of the other New Testament books. So, so he was brilliant. And so some of the people said, well, I'm going to follow Apollos. I'm going to follow Paul. I'm going to follow Cephas. Another group said, no, we're the spiritual elite. And Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
He said, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul and only servants through whom we came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Now, I love this because he goes to chapter 3 and he talks about who does the work. Now, just think for just a minute. Why would anybody follow one of our teaching pastors? Why would anybody follow a man when you can follow the man? Why would anybody follow one of our worship leaders, one of our worship pastors, when we can recognize that every one of our worship leaders and worship pastors are directing us toward Christ? Why would you follow me? And you're going, that's really not a temptation. That's not one of my struggles. I enjoyed that. Maybe you did. I thought that was funny. Why would you ever follow a person when you can follow the man, Jesus Christ? Can a teaching pastor forgive you of your sins? Can a teaching pastor get you to heaven? Can a teaching pastor remove your shame, your guilt? Can a worship leader, can a worship pastor bring you glory? No. Christ himself is what we do. And so he just reminds them now in chapter 3, it's so much embedded in Paul's mind. I planted the seed, but Apollos watered it, but God has been the one making it grow. In other words, Paul, Cephas, Apollos, we can't make a thing grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. What a great task. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, you are God's building. And so right off the gate, right out of the gates, Paul is so concerned about the unity of a church. Are you concerned about the unity of your family? Do you do everything you can to build alliances and to build teams? Let's go to work. Are you the person at work? who helps people come together? Are you, the one at, are, are you the one that's kind of stirring it up? What if you became one of those people that just really helped people? Well, I, I love this next little quote I have because what Paul's trying to say about this is there's not a single man, not Cephas, not Paul, not Apollos, who can help you with your salvation. And salvation is not the achievement of human wisdom. And as we study the book of Corinth, the Corinthians this summer, you'll see they were really big into the Greek philosophers and Roman philosophers. They were really into knowledge. And then, then like most religions, they were trying to work their way into heaven like most people do. He's, but salvation is not the achievement of human wisdom or personal goal reached. It is the embrace of God's dramatic, unexpected act of love at Calvary, right? That's how you get saved. That's how your sins get forgiven. That's how you get to go to heaven forever and forever. And so what Paul does in this book, I think more than any of his other books, is he talks about the power of the cross and the wisdom of the cross. And so here's what he says. Brothers and sisters, think about this. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, and not many of you were influential, and not many were of noble birth. But what? God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Now, now just just think about this. What, What is God saying here? 
Nobody saw this coming. What the cross could do is it could cleanse you of all your sins. What the cross could do is it could remove all your guilt, all your shame, and really most of your pain. What the cross could do, nobody could ever imagine the power of a cross because the cross was really an instrument that the Romans used. They perfected crucifixion, and it was more of an instrument of shame. But God chose this. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And right now, all over America, we've got liberal professors with all kinds of degrees and academia, and they're trying to teach our freshmen in colleges that there isn't a God and that there's moral relativism, and they're trying to be very smart and very intellectual. And yet it's the power of the cross that's changing people's lives. Ironically, most interestingly now, Princeton University has over 400 college students in in-depth Christian Bible studies every single week. And you won't see that in the media today, will you? It's awesome. It's because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God, and that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. And again, here's the point. Paul can't help you be holy. Cephas can't help you be righteous. And and Apollos can't help you with your redemption, but only God can. Therefore, as is, is written, let the one who boasts, boasts about the Lord. When you think about the cross, is that an impacting image for you? Do you think about what the cross has done for you? Paul wants to make sure that this church is in alignment. And he's trying to communicate that there's absolutely no need for anybody to have their own agenda. The agenda comes from Christ. The agenda comes from the one who said, I dream of building my church. I dream of having a church where even the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail against it. And so Paul just talks more and more and more about the power of the cross. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Just try to talk to Jesus, about Jesus to somebody who is completely disinterested. And what do they think? Why are you wasting your time? Why are you wasting your money? Why are you wasting your efforts? It doesn't make sense to a person who's perishing because they're living for today. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. I have no more sin. I have no more shame. I have no more guilt. Jesus Christ cleansed me of all my past, my present, and my future sins. As Max Lucado says, too good to be true, too great to pass up, Right? Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the fool, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Okay, I'm clicking. There we go. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are being saved, those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. Well, I want to give you now a live illustration of what the Apostle Paul is talking about. This is not following Paul, not following Cephas, not following Apollos. This is what happens when a church is in alignment. Your businesses, you accomplish results together. But as a church, what do we do? I've lost everybody. What do we do? We accomplish kingdom results together. Say that with me. We accomplish kingdom results together. This is what we do. We don't just accomplish results as a church. We accomplish kingdom results. And so God has called all of us, you, me, my colleagues behind me, he has called all of us to accomplish these kingdom results together. Now, what happens when all of us are in alignment? What happens with the power of synergism within a local church? What happens when as elders and as pastors and as teachers and as staff, we're dialed in to the work of the Holy Spirit and we're asking God his will and his dreams for this church? What happens when that takes place? Well, there's lots of baptisms. There's lots of children being changed. There are marriages that are being touched. There's a vision. There's a future for, the, for what God wants to do. Well, this is our illustrious staff. Would you welcome our team this morning? It is such a privilege to work with them. I'm going to introduce them. Several of them are going to speak for just a couple minutes. And this is the live illustration to this morning's sermon, and I'm just hoping it works. That's all I can tell you. I don't know, but I'm hoping it works. All right, we'll all be out of a job, okay? So on the very end is Carol. Carol is our full-time Christian counselor, and we heavily partner with Carol. So awesome, Carol. The next crew is Surfside Kids. Raise your hands if you would. This is the Surfside Kids crew. They have over 500 children every Sunday morning, and they are awesome. This is Pam. Okay, Pam. I'll do it this way. Pam, Trisha, Alyssa, Sarah, Elisa, and Austin. That's hard to say, Alyssa and Elisa, and that confuses all of us. So if it confuses you, don't sweat it, all right? Uh, the next team is our Connect team. So we got, will you guys raise your hands? This is our Connect team. The Connect team is responsible for all these different Connect groups. They're responsible for hospitality. They're responsible for the, the, the cafe. Uh, they do a lot of connecting ministry. And this is Sarah, this is Jody, and this is Tom. And Tom is also one of our teaching pastors. Uh, in between Tom and Tom would be Crystal. And Crystal got married on Friday night, and for some reason, she's on her honeymoon. She didn't want to come this morning. I, I'm just so disappointed she didn't want to come. So she's on her honeymoon having a, having a great time. Crystal does the business of the wedding chapel, and Tom Bates does the ministry side of the wedding chapel. Then we've got the admin and facilities. Would you guys raise your hand? Okay, from Taylor, Eric, Tammy, Dean, Joy, and Karen. All right, so raise your hands again. All right, this crew does the business. This crew does the facilities. They do admin and Karen, raise your hand again, Karen, just celebrated her 30th year of working at Harborside Christian Church. 30 years. And um, she is my assistant, and I would be lost without her. That's absolutely for true. So uh, what a great team. Dean is our CFO. Dean McSpadden and I were the senior management team, so get, get to know these guys. Then we've got Student Motion and Young Adults. Would you guys raise your hands? Okay, this is the next. Raise them high. You're proud of that, all right? So we've got Griffin and Chelsea and Stephen and Jenny and Tim. 
Tim's got many roles. Tim's a teaching pastor. Griffin's a teaching pastor. Uh, Tim is also responsible for young adults as well as senior adults and outreach. This team stoked about. We've got from from middle school all the way up to young adult, and they are getting the job done. Then we come to the production team. Just look at all those smiley faces right here, all right? We've got the production team of Hans, Ethan, John Mark, Adrian, Joy, and Dan. Um, And these are some wonderful, incredible worship pastors, worship leaders. Um, Hans plays every instrument that's ever been invented. I I can't can't explain it. It's just, it's amazing. Truly amazing. Uh, I watched him two Christmases ago, Christmas morning. He got an electric violin. He'd never played it. And within three hours, that violin was dancing and singing. And I thought, how does he do that? That is, is, is just amazing. So teaching pastors, worship leaders, IT, production, amazing people. Now, a couple of weeks ago, it was actually a month ago in a staff meeting, uh, I asked our staff, I said, um, I want to ask you three questions this morning. We meet every Tuesday morning for one hour, and uh, we worship together, we pray together, we have some leadership principles, and I said, I want to ask you three questions. And then your team gets to go away and go work on this and then come back. And so here were the three questions. What do you dream about as a team, whether you're students or children or production or admin, what, what, what do you dream about? But also, what do you cry about? And then thirdly, what do you sing about? And so I'm going to start with uh, what do you dream about? And Elisa, would you tell us, and several are going to jump in. So Elisa, what does your team dream about? Well, as a children's ministry, I bet you can guess we dream about kids a lot. But we also dream about families. And we dream about what could happen if every family had Jesus Christ at the center of their family. And they turned to Jesus Christ for every decision that they made. Over here in uh, the student ministry team, our team dreams uh, about the fact that there are 50,000 teenagers in Pinellas County alone, and we dream about God using our ministry and this church and this community to be a place that welcomes them in and gives them the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. As young adults, we dream about this church being filled with college students. Imagine the high school graduates that don't fall through the gap, that we carry from middle to high school to young adults, and we don't lose them, and we change this generation. Let's be the church that changes that in our community. I dream about uh, what it could look like for people to know their identity as sons and as daughters of Jesus, uh, and to be able to go out and to love people, to not view people as a project, but to view people as people. And I dream about what it could look like for people to embody Jesus, to allow him to live in and through them every day. In Connect Ministry, we dream about people walking through the doors of Harborside and realizing that they belong here because they're able to have a connection with God and also with God's people. I dream about the exciting marriage ministries that are available here at Harborside. I'm excited about raising up a group of competent mentors who will be able to help people as they establish the beginning of their marriage. I also dream about establishing strong Christian marriages where people learn to communicate effectively with one another, where they learn to solve their differences and conflicts, but most of all, where they learn to put Jesus Christ as the head of their home and spiritually bond together in a way that is honoring to God. And in worship, sitting up here with my best friends, we are all creatives that love to dream, so this is an easy question for us. 
But we dream that every single Sunday counts, and there's no throwaway Sundays. And each Sunday, when you come in, there's excellent music, excellent video, excellent teaching that's relevant, impactful, and scripture-filled. But that's not even the biggest dream. That's just the avenue in which to get us to our dream, which is to see this room shift, to see us shift from consumers that come hoping for a good show on Sunday to people who contribute to worship. Because we know that life change happens when you encounter the presence of God. And so we want Harborside Worship and Production to be known for a place where you can come and encounter the presence of God. We spend a lot of time dreaming and asking God to show us his dreams and his heart. But the second question was, um, what do you cry about? In other words, as a team, what, what breaks our heart? Elisa, would you start that again? Sure. Our hearts are broken by brokenness and by lost time. We cry when parents don't see us as a resource. Instead, they see us as babysitters or a place to drop off their kids. It takes a village to raise children, and we want to be part of that village as part of your community, even as part of your family. As they come into the student ministry and even young adults, we, we cry about these students that feel lost or are in this life and already feel alone and may be consumed by the brokenness that the world is offering them. Uh, and we cry about the fact that there are students that don't know what God is providing for them here, a place where they can find a firm foundation that will lead them and alter the rest of their life with Jesus Christ. I cry about how there are so many kids that are growing up without parents uh, that are hopeless, and there are churches right next to them, and they have the opportunity to get involved and make a huge impact in these kids' lives. It's something that breaks my heart. I cry about the shattered lives that are due to the breakdown of the family because of faulty marriages. I cry about the emotional and sometimes physical abuse, the bewildered children, the financial chaos that often results. I cry about people who refuse to learn what it takes to be successful in their marriage because they think they know it all. I cry about Mm. the destruction that this causes to children and to churches and to communities. So what do you dream about? What do you cry about? And the third question was, what do you sing about? In other words, um, what what is the fruit? What, What do you see the results? Where do you see God at work? And so we can sing about the great things that God is doing. And Elisa, this should be easy for you. This is a softball for you. Go ahead. This is my favorite because our kids back there love to sing, and we love to sing with them. We sing when we see our children become ambassadors for Christ, whether it's sharing their Easter eggs with new children they met on the field, whether it's singing with absolute abandon when they worship with us, whether it's their boldness in prayer, we sing when they understand that Jesus Christ is their best friend. And in student ministry, we really sing about that moment when students take ownership of their faith, where they choose to accept the potential that God has for them. Kind of like what we saw two weeks ago when almost 40 of our middle school and high school students got baptized out of Honeymoon Island. It's this amazing moment where we can really sing about the life and legacy God has for them. We sing and celebrate about what God is already doing here at Harborside. We sing because this Sunday morning we are launching over 100 groups for adults, 100 small groups, connect groups, and about 2,000 of you are in groups for this summer session. We're really excited about that. If you're not in a group, we'll get you in one. 
But uh, we also, uh, we sing, because uh, what, two weeks ago, we baptized over 100 people over there at Honeymoon Island. And we sing because the wedding chapel is not even finished, and yet we have, we have weddings booked for the next two years. And we can't wait to see what Harborside does. That's awesome. Well, here in the worship, in the worship side, we, we not only sing literally, <laughs> but <laughs> we celebrate and our hearts get, 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 uh, get glad when we, when we see people encountering Christ through worship. I think that is, that's my team's heart, and that's why we're so excited to see God moving us forward, you know, especially with this new app and how we're, you know, we can share the songs that we write for you guys, the song that we write for the body directly with you guys. We know that that's going to be impactful, and that's going to be part of helping that shift happen to bringing us to a place where we can encounter Christ through worship. It's, it's really exciting. They, they sing well, and they love to sing, but even next Sunday, they're releasing a brand new song that fits with the sermon and fits with the sermon series, and so don't miss the 28th. It's going to be a great Sunday next week, and what I really like about the new song, because I've, I've heard it now about 50 times, what I really like about it is it, it goes somewhere. It's not an end in itself. It's a song that you're going to sing in your mind, and it helps you to go somewhere. I think, I think that's really cool. What do you sing about? What do you cry about? And then the first one was, what do you dream about? This is the point. We are in alignment with each other. If we're not working together, if we're not all doing things together, we will not be able to accomplish kingdom results. There's no sign up today. There's no pitch today. There's no bait and switch today. This is about vision and philosophy. This is a vision. Imagine what happens when God speaks to you, and you know that you know that you know you're supposed to partner with one of these amazing people. And you know that your heart is just beating rapidly because you can make a difference. And this is the whole point. We don't follow Paul. We don't follow Cephas. We don't follow Apollos. We follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I got a dream. And someday I'm going to build my church. And my church is going to grow and grow and grow and get stronger and stronger and stronger and bigger and healthier. That's the dream. That's the vision that God has. And so all of you and all of us and me, we're in this together. And we are recovering stolen property. There are little people's lives who are greatly at stake. There are all kinds of adults who need to connect. There are skills in marriage. We don't do weddings. We equip people for marriage. We're not about doing weddings. Anybody can do weddings. We are equipping people for marriage. And then when it comes to the student motion and the students and the young adults, we're in this together. We accomplish kingdom results together. Now, one more thing I want to share with you. This summer is going to be awesome. This team behind me is so strong that we're now becoming a teaching staff. We're becoming a mentoring staff. So now we just went down a few age you know, levels, and now we've got interns for the summer. We have over 23 interns this summer, high school and college young people, that we're going to pour our lives into. And here's what we're saying. We've made a lot of mistakes, and we've learned from our mistakes, and we got these scars because we've made mistakes that we're not going to make again. And we're going to hopefully help you guys not to get as many scars as we have, all right? But this is a team of interns that are going to be with us for the entire summer. Let's see. Some of you are with Surfside Kids. Raise your hands. Who's with Surfside Kids? All right. Some of you are with Student Motion. All right. Um, you're actually with Facilities. You're with the Chapel. I understand. How about Production? Who's with Production? 
What, what am I missing? Outreach? We have outreach. What else am I missing? Connect group. Tom, you get some of these? I didn't think so. We didn't, we didn't trust you. Okay, so we got, we got some. Who's, who's with connect groups? And, and so what's so exciting about this is we're going to pour. Am I missing anybody else? Worship. Worship and production. Raise your hands. All right, we're going to see you on stage. We're going to hear you playing the saxophone, Jordan. All right, all right. That's what we want to hear. <laughs> it, it's, it's a privilege to have the people on the stools who have the skills to be able to pour into this. And so this is our heart's desire to pour into all these students this summer. And the kingdom of God, the future is bright. What do we do? We accomplish kingdom results together. And I think that makes Jesus sing. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 actually says that God sings over us. It's an amazing scripture verse. The Lord God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you in his love. You will no longer, and he talks about rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with what? Singing. With singing. All right, stand up with me. If you're a prayer partner, come down front. If the Holy Spirit is touching your heart to get involved in one of these areas, find them. You know who they are. Go up to them and say, I think God's leading me to be a part of some of this. Let's talk. Can I take you to Starbucks? They love Starbucks, all right? I don't know where they get that from, but they love Starbucks. But prayer partners, come down front. We're going to have a closing time of prayer. Any needs that you have, any special needs, we want you to be prayed for, to be prayed over. And again, this is a great day. If you've not given your life to Christ, that's the whole message of the cross. That's the whole reason Jesus came, is to save you from your sins and to build his church. Let me pray for us. You are the king eternal immortal, invisible. You're the only true God. And we worship not any people, not any women, not any men. We worship you, Jesus Christ, our Savior. In your name we pray. Amen.